0: On the subject of prayer, let me make just one comment. Normally, I do not respond at all to various things written in the newspaper, uh, good or bad, true or false. But if you read the letters to the editor in the Express News today about my attitudes toward prayer, just let me say this. I do not believe in government-mandated or written prayers being prayed. I don't think that we ought to be forced to pray Buddhist prayers in Hawaii. Or Muslim prayers in part of New York or Chicago. I don't believe that government mandated prayers are consistent with the Christian message or the Constitution. So I'm uh, a fellow's kind of mad at me and <laughs> about my position. I don't think he read everything that I said, and I know he didn't read understand everything that I said. But that's okay. That's the price of being in the public life. But I do believe in prayer. And I do pray. And I prayed more in school than anybody who ever went there. (laughs) And some of them were answered and some of them were not. Most often the Lord said, Buckner, (laughs) study. We need to do both. Let's pray together. Lord, We do come together to pray to you. and We thank you that we can do that in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes. We thank you, Father, that we can talk to you anywhere, anytime, about anything, and that the welcome mat is always out, and the line is never busy, and we're never put on hold, that you hear us, and that you love us, and that you affirm us. And that you want to make a difference in our lives. And we want you to make a difference in our lives. And that's why we're here today. We come here to worship with one another. Joining hands and hearts with one another. Diverse in backgrounds. Diverse in experience. But common in our confession that you are the answer to the deepest needs of our hearts and our lives. And so join us together in that common union of worship here this hour, to the end that your Son will be magnified, your church strengthened, and our lives made more in the likeness of Christ our Lord, whom we love and in whose name we pray, amen. I'm going to speak in a few moments on one of my favorite parables, maybe the favorite parable of many of you, the parable of the Good Samaritan, but this parable has a setting it didn't occur in a vacuum it grew out of a question it grew out of a situation so I'm going to read that situation which will be the groundwork for the message which will follow both from Cynthia and Reagan and the message I will preach entitled doing what you can doing what you can I read from the 10th chapter of the gospel of Luke Beginning with verse 25, Philip's translation of the New Testament. May we stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Then one of the experts in the law stood up to test him and said, Master, what must I do to be sure of eternal life? What does the law say, and what has your reading taught you, said Jesus? The law says... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself, he replied. Right, said Jesus. Quite right. Do that and you will live. But the man, wanting to justify himself, continued. But... Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave him the following reply. A man was once on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And thus begins the story of the Good Samaritan. Father, hearing the context of this word, may we see it in the context of our living of these days, may we see the close, inseparable relationship between what you said and did then and what we say and do now, that we might not be just hearers of your word only, but doers of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Be seated, please. In case there's some in this room that do not know, Martha and I have two granddaughters. <laughs> uh, if you have time, we have pictures. <laughs> 16 millimeter, 35 IMAX. we'll take you down there, we'll go wherever <laughs> to show you Avery and Julia. Oh, they, uh, we had them both last night for a while, which was Wonderful. Uh, Avery is nearly two, will be in October, and Julia will be four months in a, two or three days. <clears throat> this happened about, oh, two or three weeks ago. <clears throat> Julia, the little one, three and a half months old, was crying. And just crying her heart out. And Avery was standing there looking at her. Wondering what's wrong with she calls her Julia. What's wrong with Julia? She didn't say that, but her look, her face said, "What's wrong with Julia?" And she was puzzled. And she went over to her, and it didn't help. Julia continued to cry. Avery watched. She walked out of the room, and came back in a few moments with this old dis- discarded remote control to a television. And she looked at Julia and went. Isn't that terrific? Going to change her channel. Well, it works on TV. Why wouldn't it work with a little baby, huh? Why not? Try. I give Julia a lot of credit for a couple of things. One is wanting to do something for Julia. Number two, for using her imagination. And number three, using whatever was available to try to do the trick. (laughs) However, at that moment, Julia really needed more than that. Julia really needed somebody to pick her up and to hug her and to change her diaper and to give her something to eat and kiss her a little. And all of that was done. And she stopped crying. I thought of the Good Samaritan when we as a family talked and laughed about that event. Perfect example of somebody doing what they could at the moment. And I've already read you the background of the question, loving your neighbor as you love yourself with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the further question, well, who is my neighbor? Well, really, it's anybody near you that's crying. It's anyone near you who's hurting. And so Jesus told a story one of his greatest, to make the point. A man was once on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell. Put a period there. There's no period there yet. It says, he fell into the hands of bandits who stripped off his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead. Just stop where it says he fell. Sometimes the problems we have in our lives result from other people intending to do us harm. That's that's what happened here. Sometimes we are victims of other people's hostility, meanness, illness, whatever. And people are hurt. Innocent people are hurt by such activity. But there are ways to cut people that never take a knife out. You can cut a heart with a word, you can crush a spirit with a look. You can step on hopes with a cynical life. We're all wounded in one way or another, at one time or another, aren't we? We've not all been wounded alike, but all alike have been wounded. We've all been in an intensive care ward somewhere, sometime. We've all been hurt. true in this room right now. Some of you are thinking right now you've been hurt. Maybe your feelings have been hurt. Maybe your finances have been hurt. Maybe a relationship has been hurt by a hurried or thoughtless word. Sometimes we're the wounded. Sometimes even inadvertently and unintentionally we're the wounders the story is about us the story is given to help us he fell his problem came from the outside these people meant to do him harm they stripped him of all of his clothes took everything he had and left him for half dead left him for dead really Source might be different in your life. The feeling inside is just the same. It may have been your fault. It doesn't seem to have been this man's fault that that happened to it. Some things have happened that may be our fault. That doesn't lessen the pain. Maybe in some ways it intensifies it. But to point that out doesn't cure the wounds. To say that you did it to yourself doesn't put any bandage on the problem. Some people think that when they've analyzed the cause, they've effected a cure. No. Sometimes we do things to ourselves we fall, we're hurt, we're crushed, we're embarrassed, we're disappointed in ourselves, we fall. Talked to a woman this past week, mother and small children, young children. Catastrophic event came into her life that was not her fault. She was not responsible for it. But it shattered her whole existence temporarily. She's a survivor and she is strong and she has some loving people around her that are going to help her through this time. But her world caved in in an instant, as it can with one phone call. The whole landscape of your life can be altered. So he fell. What's the response? Well, a couple of folks showed up. Let me continue Jesus' story. It so happened that a priest was going down the road and when he saw him he passed by underline that that's the other two words first he fell now passed by you'll read that twice because there're two players who passed by It so happened that a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side A Levite another religious official a Levite also came on the scene and when he saw him he too passed by on the other side. Why did these two men pass by this wounded man lying beside the road? I think they did it because they too had been wounded and not properly healed. They'd been healed by hurt, excuse me, they had been wounded and hurt by a religion that was ethical and sincere but rigid and unforgiving. They had been wounded by a religion that said when things like that happen to people, they deserve it. And in the process of their adherence To this misguided and sincere faith, they lost the capacity for feeling and caring. And the idea of being good in unconventional ways outside the limits of their prescribed religion never crossed their mind. They were so good, they were good for nothing. religious and they were right and they had been told that keeping those laws and adhering to those principles was all that was necessary. And the result of that was one of the seven cardinal sins that the Catholic Church listed. You know, the seven cardinal sins. Sort of the, the early theologians, early church fathers thought we ought to categorize the sins. Sort of the heavyweight sins and the middleweight sins and the lightweight sins. But the heavyweight sins, one of them is what is translated sloth which unfortunately doesn't communicate what the word really means. The word is really a Greek word, which is "akadia," which means no feeling. It's not laziness, and that's what sloth has come to mean uh, in the connotation of today's world, largely. But that's not what what it meant. It means they didn't care. The worst thing that can happen to us is to see the needs of the world and not care. great historian recently was asked on television Bill Moyers asked him what is the worst thing that can happen in America? He said the worst thing that can happen in America is that Americans can watch thousands of children dying of starvation in other parts of the world and to see it in living color and not care." The New Testament says, and some have compassion making a difference. These men had to rationalize this situation somehow. And they were religious men, conscientious men. But somehow they had so rationalized it that this is not my problem. It's not my problem. I didn't cause that. And so they... They were able to to avoid the man, to ignore him, to put it out of their minds, to turn it off. Or maybe they blamed other people. That's always convenient. Jean Paul Sartre said hell is always other people. Other people. See that problem over there? The reason we don't, we don't have enough on the police force. That's a problem. Community problem. They need to get more patrols up and down the Jericho Road. We've known that the Jericho Road loop was a dangerous ride all the time. We've got to do something about it. Or what we need to do is we need to get more streetlights out here. We need to get the city council of Jerusalem and Jericho to go together and let the county put in more streetlights. that's the answer to this thing. Get, get the crime off the streets and back in the home where it belongs. <laughs> blame somebody else. or that one of the chief things to do is to blame the man himself to go over there and, and, and if you see that he's still half alive, to tell him what's wrong with him you're hurt. You're hurt. You shouldn't have been walking down this road. (laughs) Didn't you read the sign up there that said, Do not walk this road alone. It's dangerous. If you'd been in church, this never would have happened to you. (laughs) No, what happens is conventionality precipitated by an overt ritualistic kind of religion, conventionality, conventional men, that's what they were. It didn't fit their custom and their convention. And the result of that is always cowardice. They were cowards. Didn't start out to be that, I'm sure, but that's what they had become. They were afraid that if they touched them, they would be ceremonially unclean. They were afraid if they went to this fellow, they might be accused of being the ones who robbed him. They were afraid of identification. So get away from him. Hand him off to some social agency. Jesus has something strong to say about Cowards. 21st chapter of the book of the Revelation he says I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end I will give to the thirsty water without price from the fountain of life the victorious shall inherit these things and I will be God to him and he will be son to me but as for the cowards the faithless the corrupt the murderers the traffickers in sex and sorcery, the worshipers of idols and all liars, their inheritance is in the lake which burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. Do you see what God puts at the top of the list? Before faithlessness and corruption and murder And traffickers in sex and sorcery and worshipers of idols and liars. You see what he puts at the top? Cowards. Paralyzed by fears of others. Conventional people. We've always done it a certain way. But let's move on. One fellow stopped. And the most likely, unlikely one of the bunch, a Samaritan. He was detested by the Jews. You'd think the Arabs and the Jews don't get along together today. They have a Sunday school picnic compared to what Jews thought about Samaritans and Samaritans thought about Jews in Jesus' day. A Samaritan traveler going along to the place where the man was lying and at the sight of him he was touched with pity. That can be dissipating if it's not translated into action. So he went across to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own mule, brought him to an inn, and did what he could. That's the sermon. That's it. Four letters, four words. Did what he could. He did what he could for him. Next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the words, Look after him, will you? I will pay you back whatever more you spend when I come through here on my return. Probably gave him his American Express card and said, Just mark it up. And I'll keep the tab. And I'll sign it when I come back. And then Jesus asked this question of the man and of us. for He's talking about us. Which of these three seems to you to have been a neighbor to the bandits' victim?" Let, let me talk about this fellow doing what he could. First of all, in the words of Henry Allen's great book, he was there, being there. Just being there is something. In a time of crisis, somebody to just be there, not with any simplistic saccharine kind of solutions, just I'm with you. I don't understand it any more than you do, but I'm here. You can count on me. I don't know whether it was your fault or somebody else's fault. I'm not going to try to diagnose the cause. I'm just here to tell you I'm with you. Being there, he was there. What can you and I give? Well, we can give compassion, we can be there, we can give time. Time's a big thing. This, this fellow's life was interrupted. I mean, he, he was going somewhere else and he changed his whole plan. His order for the day was thrown out the window. He had to re- remake his calendar. Some people needs took precedence over what he had down there on that paper. And they may have been very important. I'm sure they probably were. But at least he wasn't afraid to be interrupted. And he was not afraid of being identified with this man. They could have accused this Samaritan of being the man who wounded him, stole all of his stuff. And that this was a way of covering his crime. He was running all kinds of risk. But he was willing to risk that because he cared about that fellow. Gave time. Some of you have volunteered to give time in prayer. And this prayer emphasis we're making, we haven't ignored that. In fact, we're working very hard on that like we are on our hospital visitation plan We are planning it well. We're going to have workshops and we're going to spend time with you and we're going to work so that we can really effectively concentrate prayer and inform one another and pray for one another and get feedback in terms of answers to prayer, how we can visit more effectively and minister to people who are in the hospitals or rest homes or wherever they might be to be in effect a church of good Samaritans, good Sam's out there endeavoring to translate into the touch of a hand and the word, the gift of a book or a flower, whatever, that we love you, we care for you, and we are with you. Not detached compassion, but attached involvement. They must go together. For what God has joined together, man must not put asunder, and we've separated them sometimes. Feeling from doing. And we live under the illusion that because we felt something, we've done something. Feeling something ought to motivate us to do something about it, to translate it into some practical ministries of everyday helpfulness. That's what this fellow did, giving time, giving prayer. Prayer works. Prayer works. I had a remarkable experience this week. Some marvelous things happened in my life. This kind of picked up my spirit. I was uh, out at the hospital on um, Thursday, getting ready to get on the elevator. And uh, four or five people standing there. And a lady came up uh, to get on the elevator with us. And she, she looked at me and she said, uh, she's nicely dressed, attractive lady, 40 years or so of age. She looked at me and she said, you're Buckner Fanning, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. I'd, I'd seen you on television she said I, I wonder if I could ask something and I said surely she said do you think that maybe today sometime during the day you could spare a prayer for me I said what is it you concerned about what somebody here you're concerned about or is it yourself she said it's myself Are you going to the doctor yes I'm concerned about what I want to hear. In fact, I'm terrified. I said, let's pray right here. Do you mind? So we stood right there waiting for the elevator and we had a moment of prayer together. I prayed. She prayed. I prayed verbally. Short prayer. Just ask the Lord to be with her and help her. Be with her doctor and treatment if it's necessary. Whatever. It all would work out well. Said amen. Doors open. Five or six of us got on the on the elevator. And everybody's kind of looking, looking like, you know, what's, what's, what's happening here? And I, I didn't try to make everybody on the elevator pray. But she and I had just talked to the Lord together out there. Now, isn't that strange? If you were standing there with your best friend talking to them, no one would think a thing in the world about, about talking to your best friend before you get on the elevator. But you stand there and talk to the, the best friend you've got. And get on the elevator, people think, uh-oh, he's kind of a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, she got off one floor, i another, and I said, i would be praying for you, and she left. Friday was a very busy day. In fact, from 12 until about 5.30, I was in committee meetings on Friday, and I didn't get any phone calls or return any. But uh, Judy, my secretary, came in, and she said, I want to just leave this message with you, and she left it. And this lady had called named Barbara, and I didn't re- remember her last name. It, it's, it's here, but I'll not mention it, of course. She said, the the lady you met in the elevator called to thank you very much. Prayers helped tremendously. And then this phrase, which touched me so much, a prayer for a stranger works. A prayer for that stranger beside the road, whoever he or she might be, known or unknown, you spare a prayer for a stranger, it will work. Do what you can. You can pray. Maybe you can visit. Maybe you can teach. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can be an encourager. Maybe you can be one of a very select group of people who like to give cups of cold water instead of throw cold water to help people. Maybe you can give money. Something else happened this week very inspiring to me. Received a letter through the mail, of course, from uh, Reverend Thomas A. French, professor of theology at Incarnate Word College. Dear Dr. Fanning, while visiting a patient at the state hospital a few days ago, another patient sent for me and handed me two very wrinkled one-dollar bills and said simply, one is for the Baptists and one is for the Catholics. (laughs) I'm enclosing one of those bills as she gave it to me. Somehow it seems to me the wrinkled condition makes it resemble more clearly in fact and in heavenly reward, the famous widow's might in God's eyes. I know you will agree. May the Lord Jesus continue to bless you, your family, and your congregation. Your television messages are obviously coming from the Lord Himself, your brother and neighbor in Christ, Thomas A. Frank. And had a young couple come in late this past week. I'll not call their names, of course. They've asked not to have their name called, but I told them I'd like to mention this. They've been members here about three years, really joined this church because they saw a television spot on MTV when we were on MTV. And they came, and they joined this church and been members for about three years. They came in and said... uh, We want to give a special offering to the mission ministries of this church, particularly to Eastern Europe. I talked about They asked me to talk about some of the mission ministries, and I talked about that. And uh, they said, well, we'd like to do that. That literature crusade, 350-some-odd Baptist churches in, in Hungary are going to receive Christian literature for children for the first time in their history. And our friend Robert Schuler knows about it and is working to have the 400 plus Reformed churches in Hungary use the same literature right there. About 700 churches will be ministered to by what you, this church, we are doing. You're doing it. Not with anybody else's help, but the Lord's and God's people here in this place. And it's being done. And they were impressed with that. And so they said, well, we want to give a gift. I I had no idea what the amount was. So well, God has blessed us and we want to use some of our money to help other people and this is what we want to do. We want it to go to Trinity Baptist Church and we want it to go to their mission ministry, to your and our mission ministries. And so they gave the church a check for $10,500. Now, There's a $10,000, I can't read the name, there's a $10,500 check and a $1 bill. And you know what? These are identical. Not in amount, but in spirit. God will use this $1 as much as He will use these $10,500. For whatever is given out of a heart of love, To the cause of Christ will be blessed by the Holy Spirit and it will reproduce itself over and over and over and over again. You may not be able to give a dollar. You may not be able to give $10,500. You can do something. You can pray. You can encourage. You can praise. You can visit. You can be a Barnabas, a son of encouragement to other people. Therefore, I close with the question, what kind of person do you want to be? According to Jesus, we're going to be one or the other. I know what kind of person I want to be, and I want the Lord to help me be that kind of person better and better as the years go by. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of church do you want us to be? I'll tell you the kind of church I want us to be. I want us to be a church that will not only accept, but will look for, search out, find, and help anybody. Who's fallen beside the road of life whatever the cause because if you and I as God's people are not God's hand on the shoulder of a troubled world there'll be no help for them and no blessing for us Jesus asks us which of these three seems to you to have been a neighbor in the to the bandit's the victim. Which one? The man who gave him practical sympathy, he replied. Then you, listen to Jesus, then you go and give the same. Go, give, the same. Those are Jesus' orders to me to you and to us. Albert Schweitzer was called by Life Magazine many years ago as the world's greatest man. Picture on the front of Life Magazine, a missionary in Africa with four earned doctor's degrees, one in medicine, one in theology, one in philosophy, and one in music, at the time considered to be the outstanding authority in the world on Bach went to Africa to establish a mission hospital. And the woman that he treated came to him and said, I want to thank you for taking away my pain. And Dr. Schweitzer said, the reason, dear lady, that you have no more pain is because the Lord Jesus told this doctor and his wife to come to the banks of the oronoo River in Lamborghini, Africa to minister to you. Jesus told me to do it. Do it. Do what he impresses you to do. Don't pass by on the other side. Do it.